Well, welcome to church, everybody. Uh, my name is Scott Rains. I'm one of the pastors here. We're in a message series called The Jesus Run. We're taking a look at what Jesus is up to in the book of Matthew. Today, we're going to be in a story in Matthew chapter 9 where ba- basically Jesus says to someone, uh, stop sitting on your butt. That's a loose translation from the Greek. What he actually says is stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And as we dig into this, we're, we're going to see that There's a reason why Jesus says this to the guy in Matthew chapter 9, but it's also possible this is what Jesus is saying to all of us in this room. Well, all of us except for the men who are the leaders of the 8th grade power life retreat. You guys, you can stay seating and you can take a nap this afternoon. They were at a retreat all weekend long with hundreds of 8th grade boys from across Hope, and now they're here to worship with us because they just can't get enough Jesus, am I right? (laughs) <laughs> or enough sleep, enough Jesus, you take your pick. We're glad that they are here. Last week when we started the Jesus run, one of the things we said, when Jesus shows up, he's good news. He's good news for people who want their life to change. And the flip side of that is if you don't really want anything to change in your life, if you're kind of satisfied with the status quo, Jesus might not necessarily feel like good news. And so the reality is in, in chapter 9, There are some people who receive Jesus as good news. There are others who do not like what Jesus is up to at all. It doesn't feel like good news to them because Jesus is changing things. And one of the things Jesus is changing is this idea of who belongs. Who belongs. Matthew chapter 9 begins this way. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Now, because we're not part of this New Testament culture, we don't see the division that is embedded in that verse. I mean, it's hard for us to understand because we live in a culture that is so united. There's no real divisions at all in our world. But in Jesus' day, people were divided over lots of different things. One of the things they were divided over is is who belongs. And this lake, it's the Sea of Galilee that Matthew is referring to, it served as a physical barrier saying, here's who belongs and here's here's who doesn't. So Jesus is going across the lake to his own town. His side of the lake, where his town is, is the Jewish side of the lake. The other side of the lake was the Gentile side of the lake. And every good Jew in Jesus' day knew, you stay away from the Gentiles. You don't hang out with Gentiles. They are sinners. They are unclean. They do not belong. Kind of begs the question, doesn't it? What's Jesus doing over on that side of the lake in the first place? And to understand what he is up to, we need to go back a chapter. Matthew chapter 8 begins this way. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. The mountain he had just been on is where he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. He finishes teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's coming down the mountainside, and he runs into a man who has leprosy. He touches him, heals him of his leprosy, and then says to the guy, don't tell anybody. Just go to the priest and let the priest examine you and declare you clean. Now, several reasons why Jesus responds this way. Number one, what he has done, touching the leper, was against the law. In in Jesus' day, there were governmental laws, but there were also religious laws that you had to follow, and if you didn't, there were severe consequences. So the law of Jesus' day was you cannot touch a leper. In fact, lepers, were they had to live outside of the villages in these leper colonies because they were so um, unclean. And most people figured that the reason they had this disease was because of some sin. So they were unclean, they were sinners, they did not belong. 
But Jesus shows up and starts changing that, starts touching the untouchable. And part of what Jesus is trying to communicate by doing this is you belong. You need to be welcomed back into the community. You need to understand that you are loved. And he wants everyone to show uh, these people that, that they belong. He's changing the idea of who belongs. The other thing that Jesus is changing in Matthew chapter 8 is this idea of who has authority. So he's coming down the mountainside. He heals uh, this man with leprosy. And then Jesus enters into his hometown, the city of Capernaum. Uh, the city of Capernaum is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's his hometown. It's also where Jesus headquarters his mission, his ministry. Uh, last week when we started the Jesus run, we started in Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus' ministry begins with this call, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The next thing Jesus does, he calls disciples, follow me, I'll show you how to fish for people. And last week we talked about how that language, fishing for people, it's language that the disciples would have recognized as empire-building language. It's the kind of language that the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians would have used as they were building their empire. So Jesus says, follow me, we're building the empire, we're going to call it the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and the headquarters as we go about this kingdom building, empire building, the headquarters is going to be in the city of Capernaum. Well, guess who else happened to have their headquarters in the city of Capernaum? The Roman army. The Roman army that is occupying the region, terrorizing the region, their headquarters, not in Jerusalem like you might think, but in Capernaum. Jesus could have picked anywhere to be the headquarters for his ministry. He's very intentional about choosing Capernaum, the same town where the Romans have their headquarters. He makes his way down the mountain, heals the leper, goes into Capernaum where his headquarters are, and a Roman officer comes running to Jesus. And the Roman officer begs Jesus to heal one of his servants who is sick. Now again, you've got to put yourself in the context of what's happening here. There are certain people who belong and certain people who don't. Lepers don't belong, sinners don't belong, Gentiles don't belong, Roman soldiers definitely don't belong. And so the people would have been really surprised, maybe a little angry, disappointed, confused, when Jesus' response to this Roman officer who asked Jesus for help, Jesus' response is to say, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this, faith like this unclean, doesn't belong, shouldn't be here Roman officer, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth, Gentiles are going to sit down at the same table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. They're going to share a meal. They're going to have a feast together. And it just keeps getting worse for people who think certain people are authorized to belong and other people are authorized not to belong. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples. They go back across, back to the other side, to the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. And along the way, there's a big storm that, that blows in. And you can kind of imagine Jesus' disciples saying, See, Jesus, this is a sign that God doesn't want us to go hang out with the Gentiles. We should go back to our side of the lake. But Jesus stands up and says, Peace be still, is what one of the gospel writers says. And he calms the storm. The wind dies down and the waves die down and the disciples are amazed. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? They get to the shore on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus sees two men who are possessed by demons. 
and he casts the demons out of them. But the demons are like, Jesus, at least let us go into this herd of hogs. And so Jesus sends the demons into this herd of pigs. The pigs start a stampede. They go off a cliff into the Sea of Galilee where they drown and are killed. Don't you love reading the Bible? I mean, the Bible is just fascinating. Why, why is that story in there? I mean, are we really supposed to learn something about God and about living a life of faith by a story of pigs stampeding into the lake? Yes, actually we are. What, what's the most unclean animal for the people of Israel? Pigs. Whatever you do, don't eat pork, right? Stay away from pigs. Pigs are bad news. They're unclean. And the Romans knew this. So the Romans, as they're building their empire, as they're humiliating their subjects, what do they do? They make coins. On one side of the coin is the head of Caesar. Remember, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus Jesus says, well, whose face is on the coin? Caesar's face. What's on the other side of the coin? A pig. If you're going to be a part of the economic system of the Roman Empire and you're a Jew, you have to use coins, currency, that has a pig on it. How humiliating. Not only that, the Roman army that is occupying the region, they march under a banner, and the banner has a boar on it. This is the legion number 10. Uh, the legions in the Roman Empire were uh, groups of 1,000 soldiers. The 10th legion was called Fratensis, and they were stationed in the Middle East during Jesus' day. They marched under the banner of a pig. So Jesus sends pigs over the cliff into the sea where they drown. It's almost like Jesus is saying, God can do the same thing to Caesar and the Roman Empire that God did to Pharaoh in the Egyptian Empire in the Old Testament. You remember that story? Pharaoh and the Egyptian army are pursuing Moses through the Red Sea that God parts. Moses and his people get across. The, uh, Pharaoh and his soldiers go across and the waters collapse on them and they drown. God prepares a way for the people of Israel to escape bondage in Egypt. Now Jesus is saying God is preparing a way for the Gentiles on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. God's preparing a way for them to be set free from the bondage of their sin, of their idol worship. They're taking a look at false gods. There's something really powerful happening in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is making it clear this is a guy with real power and real authority, the power from heaven, power from on high to calm the wind and the waves, to take on the Roman Empire, to say, I'm going to headquarter my ministry in the same place because our empire, my kingdom that I'm building is going to be more than you can ever imagine. And then we turn the page to Matthew chapter 9. That's that's kind of the setup because Matthew chapter 9, Jesus starts talking about the power and the authority that he has on earth. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. And this would have been good news for that man and for his friends, but I also think in the back of their mind, they're thinking, okay, great, forgiveness is fine, but what about the paralysis? Are you going to do anything about that? So they're starting to receive some good news, but there are others there watching this happen. They don't think this is good news at all. Let's read verse 3 together. It's on the screen. Read this out loud with me. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Who's Jesus think he is? See, see only God has the power to forgive sins. 
Jesus think he's God? Now, that's an important question, a good question to ask. But Jesus doesn't think it's a good question. He thinks it's an evil question is what he says next. Why do you have such evil thoughts? Because Jesus knows things and Jesus understands things that sometimes we forget or miss out on. What Jesus knows is these teachers of religious law, they really think they are God. They've been given power and authority to interpret the scriptures and say to everyone in their community, this is what sin is. They have the power to define sin. They also have the power to define forgiveness. Who gets it and who does not get forgiveness? In other words, they're playing God. And Jesus is not impressed. So Jesus says, I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. There's a group of men on earth who think they have the authority to forgive sins, and Jesus says, no, 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 we're going to change this idea of who has authority. He's been given power and authority to bring about physical healing, and now he's saying he has power and authority to bring about spiritual healing. And to prove it, to prove it, he says to the paralyzed man, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. There's, there's an important shift that's taking place in Jesus' ministry here in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, up to this point, we've been talking about all the crowds of people that follow Jesus around, and many of the people in the crowd are there because someone is sick. Either they're sick or they're bringing a friend or a, a loved one to Jesus who is sick. They want Jesus to provide physical healing, and, and Jesus does a lot of that. But part of what he's pointing out in this part of Matthew 9 is notice the posture of these people. They come to Jesus because they understand he is the only hope they have. He's the only one with the power to heal what is broken in their lives. And so they come with this posture of humility saying, we've, tried, we've gone everywhere else, we've tried everything else, everyone else. Jesus, you're our last chance. Would you help us, please? And Jesus is saying we should have a similar posture when it comes to the healing of our sin-sick lives. We've tried everything else to get rid of our guilt, tried everything else to forgive us. We can't do it on our own. Nobody else can do it. Jesus, help us. Would you forgive us of our sins? Next thing that happens in the story is Jesus calls this tax collector again. Who are the biggest sinners in Jesus' day? There were sexual sinners. There were people who were sick. They were outcasts and didn't belong. Romans and tax collectors. Despised, hated, they don't belong. Jesus goes to a tax collector and says, follow me. And Matthew says, all right, I'm in. And they go to Matthew's house, and he throws a party, a big meal for Jesus and his disciples. This upsets the Pharisees, and they say, why does Jesus eat with such scum? Let's read together how Jesus responds to this accusation. Again, it's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Oftentimes, as we're reading through this part of the story, the, the way we interpret it, which I think is a misinterpretation, is we say, so Jesus is saying there's two kinds of people, healthy people and sick, uh, righteous and sinners. And our job is to figure out what category we are in, which then we become a kind of culture or community that we think our job is to figure out what category everybody else is in. And Jesus says, no, that's not the point. That's missing the point. The point is there's really only one category. We're all sinners. We're all sick. He has come for all of us. 
We're all in need of a Savior. We're all in need of forgiveness. We're all in need of the work only the great physician can do in our lives. We moved, our family moved to Ankeny a little over 11 years ago. Before we were here, we were living in Buffalo, Iowa, on the banks of the Mississippi River, right downstream from Davenport. And our kids were little then, and some of the neighbor kids were middle school girls. And so they liked coming over and hanging out with our little kids that they thought were so cute or whatever. And they played volleyball. These middle school girls played volleyball. So one day, Wendy and I went to the middle school volleyball tournament in Bluegrass, Iowa, about 10 miles away from where we lived. And so we're watching uh, the neighbor girls play volleyball. And Wendy, my wife Wendy, I don't know if she's ever met a stranger, so she immediately starts this conversation with one of the moms sitting next to her. And Wendy doesn't really like small talk, so right away they're getting into the the real stuff of life. And she finds out this woman is divorced, has two daughters, one of them's playing volleyball, uh, is living with her fiance. They're remodeling this home that, that they are living in. And will probably get married someday, but they don't have a date set. And Wendy invites them to come to church, and much to my surprise, the next weekend they show up for worship. A woman walks in with her two daughters and her fiancé, and they kept coming back week after week, month after month. After a couple of months, they invited Wendy me. Do you guys want to go out to dinner sometime? And we said, sure. So they came to our house, and they picked us up when we drove into Davenport, and I think we went to Biagi's, and, you know, they give you the bread with the oil and the pepper and the, is it lunchtime yet? Anyway, it was a, it was a great time just hanging out and getting to know this couple and talking, and, you know, it was great. After a couple of hours, it was time to go back home, and we pull up in front of the house, and I'm just about ready to open the door and get out and say goodnight. When the woman turns around, Wendy and I are sitting in the back, she turns around and she looks at me and she says, so I was just wondering, do you view us as living in sin? (laughs) Oh, I was like, we had three hours. You could have asked me three hours ago. And it was, you know, I'm like, where does this question come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. Somebody in her life told her, sinners don't belong at church. Divorced people don't belong at church. People who are living with their fiancé before they're married don't belong at church. And so someone had said, there's these categories, healthy and sick, righteous and sinner, and you're in the wrong category. And now she's wondering, what category am I putting her in? Do you view us as living in sin? And, you know, I thought of all that later in the moment. I was like, I need to say something good in a hurry. And it was one of those moments where God just gave me the right thing to say at the right time, I think. So I said, oh, I view everybody as living in sin. No big deal. But, right? I think that's right. Doesn't mean that Jesus says there are some wise things to do and some unwise things to do, but we're all living in sin. It's it's my way of saying we're all in the same boat. If you don't belong, none of us belong. We're all sinners. We're all in need of forgiveness. And and maybe that doesn't feel like good news to you, but I'm telling you, this is really good news. Has everybody noticed friendly Jesus is over here today? If if you were looking for friendly Jesus, you can find him over here. During the season of Lent, friendly Jesus is here. You can get your selfie with friendly Jesus and go to the uh, welcome table, and they'll give you a dum-dum sucker for you to have. And if you do it all six weeks of Lent, you get a big grand prize from Cafe Hope. But anyway, friendly Jesus Remember what the song is that we, that we sang during the offering? Jesus, friend of sinners. That was like they were bullying Jesus in his day by calling him a friend of Jesus, uh, of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. 
Jesus is, he wants to hang out with sinners. It's good news to be a sinner because Jesus wants to be your friend and hang out with you and have a meal with you. We have communion the first weekend of every month here at Hope Ankeny. And at 8 o'clock service every weekend we have communion. Every time we do communion I say, maybe you are wondering, are you really welcome to come to the Lord's table? There's a reason why I say that every time. Because every week there are people sitting in these chairs who wonder, am I really welcome? Do I belong? What category am I in? They think because of some failure in their life or an addiction or some mess that they've made of their life that there's no way Jesus would want to share the table with them. Couldn't be more wrong. The Jesus we encounter on, on the Jesus run is a friend of sinners sitting at the wrong table with the wrong people all the time, which really tells us it's the right people at the right table. The culture, the religious culture of Jesus' day had this sort of backwards understanding. If you behave the right way, and then if you believe the right things, then maybe, maybe you can belong, you can be a part of our group. Jesus shows up and completely reverses that. You belong, he says. You are loved, he says. I want to hang out with you. And as you hang out with Jesus, as you hang out with Jesus, he starts to rub off on you. And that's the way it's supposed to work in the church. If you hang out with Christians, with church people, with Jesus followers, Jesus is supposed to rub off on you. And as Jesus rubs off on you, it starts to change what you think about yourself, what you think about other people. It starts to change what you believe. It changes your mindset. And as your mind changes, Scripture says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As your mind changes, it starts to change the way you live your life. So in the church, it's not behave, believe, belong. In the church, it's belong, believe, behave. Or as Pastor Mike puts it, if you're wondering if there's a place for a sinner like you here at Hope, the answer is yes. Of course, you're going to have to sit in the sinner section. <laughs> Good, you got to understand. The sinner section is every seat in the building. We call our services come-as-you-are services. If it's a busy weekend full of activities and whatever, you've got games or dance or soccer or whatever, just come with your tutu on or your cleats or both. Come as you are. If it's a busy weekend, you've been out in the garage, you know, covered with grease and oil like I am most weekends, no. <laughs> come as you are. Or if you've been out in the garden digging around and you're covered with dirt, come as you are. Don't worry about cleaning up the mess first. Come as you are. And of course, there's a deeper meaning to that, isn't there? This idea of being a come-as-you-are church means you belong, you are welcome here before you get your life figured out, before you clean up whatever mess you feel like you're in or whatever failure you've gone through. You belong. It, people come all the time who, who feel like they've made such a mess of things that they've broken their relationship with God and there's nothing that can be done to fix it and Jesus says, think again. I've come for people like you. He's come for people like me. And Jesus says, I want you to come just as you are and follow me. And together, let's learn how to be the church. Let's learn how to be disciples of Jesus. Let's usher in God's kingdom on earth. Billy Graham died this week. Billy Graham spent his whole life pointing people to Jesus and the light, the life, the love, the hope, the forgiveness, the grace that only Jesus offers. The primary way that Billy Graham carried out this mission uh, in his life was through these crusades. They'd, they'd get big baseball or football stadiums and they'd fill them up with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who'd want to hear 
Billy Graham preach? What does he have to say about Jesus? How might Jesus make a difference in my life? And at the end of every crusade, Billy Graham would extend an invitation, whoever wanted to, to say yes to Jesus. Confess your sin. Of course, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We've made a mess of our lives. But Jesus has come to clean up the mess, to meet us in the mess, to get dirty with us. Confess your sin, receive the forgiveness and grace that Jesus freely gives, and then make a decision to follow after Jesus, to shape your life around the life of Jesus. And as Billy Graham would extend that invitation, his worship leader, Jeremy Carmody, no, uh, his worship leader, leader's name was Cliff Barrows, and he would play this old hymn, Just As I Am, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, But That Thy Blood Was Shed For Me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. O Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, I come to you because you're the only one that can provide the healing I need. As we go through this message series, the Jesus Run, hopefully we'll be learning some new things, we'll be acquiring more information, but that's not the goal. The goal is to activate our faith. That's what Jesus is doing in, in Matthew chapter 9. Stand up. Pick up your mat. Let's activate this faith. So we want to give you some time to practice being faithful people. The way we receive this forgiveness, this healing that Jesus wants to bring about in our life, prayer is one of the ways that this happens. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And so let's call on that power, that authority for the healing that we need. I don't know what healing you're in need of, but I know all of us need some healing. So Jeremy and his team, they're going to play this song just as I am, and you can sing along with it if you want. But I'd encourage you to just spend some time praying, calling on the power and authority of Jesus to heal whatever's broken in your life. And I know in a room like this, there are some people sitting here who are just like, prayer, give me a break. You want to know how much time I've spent praying, and it hasn't changed a dang thing. So I've also invited our prayer team and some of our staff members to just kind of wander the aisles because I know some of you, you cannot pray today. And that's fine. The paralyzed man doesn't take himself to Jesus. He has friends who bring him to Jesus. So the prayer team and our staff, we're going to walk the aisles and we're going to pray. And as we do that, we'll bring you to Jesus. You don't have to. If you're not in a place where you can pray, that's fine. We'll lay you at Jesus' feet and trust that Jesus will provide the healing that's needed in your life.
this man on a mat to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, good news, your sins are forgiven. And then later, Jesus says, I got more good news. Stand up, pick up your mat. Let's go. Follow me. I got this whole new kind of life for you. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing to all of us. I want to show you one more clip. It's from this movie, uh, Into the Wild. It's about a boy named Chris, graduates from college, a young man, I guess. And he's got some pain in his life, some brokenness in his life, and he doesn't know what to do with it, so he basically runs. And he goes cross-country just doing whatever. He's going to make his way ultimately to Alaska. And along the way, he comes across some interesting characters, including this old man, Ron. And Ron knows Chris is running from something. Chris also thinks Ron is running from something. So he says, stand up, pick up your mat. And Ron does. And then the old man has some wisdom for the young boy. Take a look. 